You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Difference between what a Biden 1.0 and a, and a Trump 2.0 would look like. But some of the environmental cleanup, it's been a, it was a real priority of the Scott Pruitt-led EPA. It's continued into the Andrew Wheeler-led EPA. People just don't see it, um, but they've actually been very tough on on some of that stuff. So it, you really have to, you know, I always say on our podcast, Mark, that you have to peel the layers of the onion to really see what's going on. And, um, you know, it's everybody focuses on the White House because it's the White House and symbolically it's what matters the most. But there's a lot below the surface that people aren't seeing that's impactful. I think the Middle East, uh, I mean, clearly that's an area, love them or hate them. It's an area where historic progress is being made um, in terms of the the safety and and um, security of, of the Middle East and, and the state of Israel. Um, it's, I, I, there's going to be more of that. It feels like these guys, for all the stuff that goes along with the Trump presidency from a rhetorical point of view, I mean, he can't even stay on, he hasn't even been good at promoting his own accomplishments because he steps on them, you know, four or five hours later talking about something controversial and irrelevant. But these peace agreements, it feels like they've figured out the right balance in the Middle East. And frankly, it feels like Obama was way, way, way off, like just off cozying up to Iran. It feels like we um, are, it, it feels like we're in a historically better place in the Middle East. So, that, so I, I think he doubled down on that and, and, and continue that. And it, it's no secret to our listeners that I'm not a big fan of, the president, but give credit where credit is due. However, this stuff is happening and it's a complicated thing um, to decipher multifaceted, but it is historic Mark. So those are a couple of other areas where I see um, things kind of continuing along the trajectory they've been on. Um, Mark, what do the Democrats do um, in in a Trump 2.0? What? How do you see the the other side of the aisle in Trump 2.0? Well, I want to uh, remind our listeners that this is a hypothetical conversation and that uh, it produces great anxiety on the Democratic side of the aisle to engage in this uh, exercise. You look but, kind of stressed out, Mark. <laughs> uh, it, I didn't know whether to go into the Middle East, which is always a mistake, and point out that in a nuclear Iran is closer to a reality today than it was three years ago. And whatever Sudan and Israel do, nothing is more dangerous to the world than a nuclear Iran. So, so you but, think you think Barack Obama had the right 
balance struck on the Middle East? I think that we shouldn't have uh, pulled out of the uh, Iran deal. Yes, I think we should not have pulled out of that. And but do that, you think? Do you think that um, a more secure Middle East, where Iran is surrounded by um, neighbors who are aligned with the United States and Israel, is a less secure Middle East? No, of course. And not. and would you trade the Iran nuclear deal for like if 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 the I think giving that up led to these peace agreements. Do you think that it, it was worth it? Or you think we should have stayed in the, the Iran nuclear deal? I or you think that it's okay to say you just don't know enough to answer I the question, think, by the way? Well, here's what I know. I think that Trump has found it easier to deal with Netanyahu because they're peas in a pod than Obama did. We'll see where we shouldn't do an Israeli uh, politics podcast <laughs> this morning. So let me go back to uh, answering your question. Just Way to dock, Mark. <laughs> uh, well, I'd be happy to talk about uh, Netanyahu and Trump as uh, soulmates, but that probably isn't what Alex and, and Caitlin's notes uh, are prepared to, to address. So, Howard, um, Democrats will remain relevant and traumatized, I think, is, the, is what we would see in a Trump 2.0. Democrats will control the House of Representatives. I don't think that even Caitlin and Alex, especially with Alex's 5% hidden Trump vote, even that isn't going to change control of the House. So Democrats will control the House. Of course, nothing can be legislated without the House uh, and the Senate and the president ultimately uh, agreeing. So the Speaker and the Democrat caucus in the House, while traumatized from uh, a, a repeat of 2016, would be highly relevant and would have to find a way to work uh, as they have for the past two years to at least yeah. keep the government open and running. And in the Senate, I would be very surprised, very surprised, never say never with these guys, but I'd be very surprised if uh, McConnell and the Republican caucus got rid of the filibuster, which means- Well, they that, haven't to date, so why would we expect them to going forward? I wouldn't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. I wouldn't, which means that you need uh, 10 Democrat. Well, it depends on what the numbers turn out to be, but you need a handful plus uh, of Democrats to move anything other than, as Alex mentioned, by reconciliation or, or judges. We all so, famously know. So yeah. so we would have to find a way to work to keep the government open and to make things happen like the stimulus that the country needs. But but I I don't think it would be the fever's not going to break. I don't think it will be peace breaking out, unlike the Middle East, where Howard has announced that peace is broken out. Peace is not going to break out in Trump 2.0 in Washington. You're going to have investigations and opposition and and more of that, uh, I think, for four more years. Look, it's it it is much harder in a lot of ways to 
own power than it is to be the in the opposition. I mean, it's very easy. I'm not saying well, that the Democrats wouldn't. Time. I'm not saying no, I'm not saying that the Democrats wouldn't wouldn't trade it yesterday for Biden 1.0 and and you know control of both chambers obviously they would but it's it's much easier to um throw sand into the gears when you're in the opposition than it is like you own everything when you're in charge and you know th- look at Alex the affordable care act in in its inception i know people public opinion has shifted but it, it's part of why Barack Obama ultimately lost, why the Democrats lost the majority. And they had a huge majority in the Senate and the, the electorate took it out on them, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And so it's just like, it's, it's the hidden secret. And Mark, I think, you know, we talk about this a lot. I, I remember sitting in a restaurant with a friend of mine who's a big time Democratic lobbyist um, before the 2016 election. And he said, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do if Trump wins. And I might have had a couple of conversations like that with you after the election. Wait, I Mark, thought I, I was, was I thought that I was the guy you no, were referring to. No, I, no, you actually weren't. It's uh, a, a good friend of mine. <laughs> Um, <laughs> literally and figuratively, it's my friend, David Goodfriend. And, and I yeah. said, um, are you kidding me? Like, you're even more relevant. You know, you have to maintain it. People need somebody to go to to keep them in check. And, and it's enormously important. So if it turns out that it, it is Trump 2.0, Mark, I think the thing to stress to our loyal listeners is that the Democrats matter too. They will continue to matter too. And not just well, because they have the house because no, no. that's what I was going to say. Uh, uh, you and I did have those conversations and we predicted and it turned out um, we were right that the Democratic Senate was going to be enormously relevant in the first two years of the Trump administration. It was and Democratic uh, advocates were were very active there. One of the big fights, as Alex uh, remembers as well as I, was, of course, repeal and replace, which uh, required holding the Democratic caucus uh, together and picking off the three votes uh, on the Republican side. And then in 2018, when the House switched and and flipped, uh, Democrats became almost, almost as relevant as Republicans on on the Hill. And and that would, of course, continue. The the election, a Trump 2.0 does not mean that the uh, Democratic Party is going to file for a dissolution. No. Maybe re, maybe reorganization, you'll, but, you'll but still, not dissolution. You'll still have work to do, Mark. Even though um, it will take 
many, many, many counseling <laughs> sessions between the two of us for you to pull yourself out of whatever you're going to be in if I'm, it comes to pass. I'm going to Caitlin and Alex if I Okay, good. Counseling. Just one, yeah. thing, one thing to add to this conversation, especially because we've talked so much about the Affordable Care Act, um, is that so many of what, so many of what President Trump and his team have done and so much of what they have done in healthcare has nothing to do with the Affordable Care Act and also was done administratively and not with Congress. And these things you never hear about in the news, but they're hugely important and impactful to the healthcare world. So yes, what the Senate looks like, what the House looks like is really important. What the White House looks like, does everyone knows and the administration is also very important. I see it in healthcare. I'm sure it happens in environmental and every other policy arena that we've talked about today too, but probably like 12 major actions, you know, every week or two in healthcare happening yeah. through administrative means. Yeah. Well, and some proposed and withdrawn as, as we know. And to, to, to that end, to that end, um, Let's finish on on this note. Personnel is policy, even in a Trump administration. I mean, he consumes all of the headlines, as as I was saying earlier. But but personnel is policy, and it actually matters who's in what seats in terms of the decision making. So, Caitlin and I, I have a. I'm just going to say I have a huge question mark around this. I mean. A lot of, you know, very good people went into Trump 1.0. Alex, you're one of them. Um, uh, it feels like the cupboard is pretty bare as far as appointees. There are lots of acting positions. Caitlin, what does staffing look like in Trump 2.0? Who, who goes and serves? I think that's a big question mark, but if he were to win and win by sizable margins, I think there, I do not believe that that administration is going to struggle to get folks to come and work for the White House. I'm curious what Alex thinks, having having a, been there on the Domestic Policy Council. Do, do you see this being a hindrance to, to getting good, great talent into the second Trump administration? I think people would be surprised to know about the, the group of people who the president regularly consults with and how broad that that list is and that it's made up not just of, you know, conservative policy experts, you know, different think tanks and things like that, but also a lot of business leaders and a lot of Democrats, a lot of in, in my in healthcare. We regularly heard from some of the main folks that the Obama administration listened to on healthcare. Um, I think it could be really interesting to see who makes up the next term. And it is definitely true that a I think especially in this in a Trump administration that the the staff is is the policy because the president really likes to keep an open mind on a lot of policy issues and listens very heavily to his policy advisors. Yeah, I mean maybe another win frees people up as you were saying Caitlin to feel like they can surf when maybe they wouldn't want to now. That's that's what I heard you saying. And, and Mark, I'm going to ask you whether you think um, we'd finally see the Trump pivot in Trump 2.0. That's a joke. Um, <laughs> right. um, but may, may I answer that? 
No, Alex, no. what do you, <laughs> Alex, what do you think? What do you think he's going to focus on? Like clearly a Trump 2.0 would be it's for every president in their second term. It's about legacy. What do you think this guy and frankly, win or lose here? Like, what do you, what do you think he wants? What do you think he wants his legacy to be? I mean, I think at the start of this all, I, I wouldn't have said it was something in healthcare. I think he, that wasn't his top priority. Um, though he, he was very cognizant of the people who put him in office and they wanted to repeal the ACA. So he was going to do everything he could to do good on, on the promise he had with, had made to them. But I don't think that was what he was going for with his legacy. I think now he wants to get rid of COVID and, you know, it's very hard to pick this up through all the noise, but the administration's doing a lot to help get a vaccine. I mean, we never, the country doesn't usually work on multiple vaccines at the same time. I mean, the work that Operation Warp Speed is doing is is really impressive. And there are a lot of very smart scientists and lawyers. One who came from Cozen O'Connor actually is over there working on these issues. And I think he'll get, they'll get a vaccine if you, you know, at some point in Bob Foster's over there, um, but I think they'll they'll get a vaccine at some point in 2021, and it'll be widely distributed. And I mean, what better legacy could there be than getting rid of the terrible virus and opening the country again? Yeah, and I if mean, I could, yeah, if I could ahead. just add to that, Howard, I would say I think that we'll see continued focus on criminal justice reform, which is one area where this administration has made significant strides, um, as well as expanding opportunity zones and helping helping um, some of these inner revitalize some of these inner city areas from an economic standpoint. I I, I could see those being two other areas where he his like he wants his legacy to to rest on. Yeah. Well, I think he'll immediately begin plans for his presidential library. Not going to need that much shelf space since uh, I'm told he doesn't read that that much paper. Mark, I actually didn't ask but, you. But I do have, <laughs> but I am answering. Uh, <laughs> but I was going to say, uh, I wonder if uh, he'll want it to be in Moscow, but I won't say that. Because oh, Mark, we're not ending on that note. I said I wouldn't say it. We're not ending on that. Note. I behave today. Mostly. <laughs> Mostly. Until then. Somewhat. <laughs> somewhat. Um, well, it it obviously, you know, we've only got a few days left here in the sprint to November 3rd, but 50 million people have voted. I think it's a very confusing time, as I've heard Alex say many times. It's it is a confusing time because this virus. And I mean, I would argue he obscures his own success in a lot of ways, like warp speed. And I do not think he has handled this virus well um, overall, but warp speed and the Middle East, he steps on himself every day. And maybe that's by design and maybe it's not, but there is, there is some good stuff um, that has happened in in the last four years and be interesting to see if he wins, you know, what the economic comeback looks like, what, you know, what the next four years looks like. I, he's not, he's not a conservative himself. He's, 
is governed as a conservative, but he's not a conservative himself. And um, we'll see. We'll see, Mark. We'll see. Nine days, guys. Nine more days. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, Caitlin, there's something we can agree on. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Nine days. All right. Well, this has been great. Thanks, Alex and Caitlin and Mark. Happy Sunday. And we will be back uh, midweek this week talking about what Biden 2.0 or Biden 1.0 rather looks like. Um, he was there for 47 years. We can call it Biden 2.0 <laughs> now. Oh, that was good. Well done. Will Caitlin be joining us for that conversation? Yes, she will, actually. Um, All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great Sunday. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.